0: Greetings, podcast listeners. Thanks so much for tuning in. This is the weekly podcast of Williamsburg Baptist Church here in historic Williamsburg, Virginia. And I'm the pastor here, Art Wright. We are so glad you're listening. This week's sermon is based on Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 17. It's the scene where Jesus, um, immediately following his baptism, goes into the wilderness and is tempted by the devil. So fascinating. But challenging scene, I think, for those of us today who struggle with a worldview uh, 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 that, that may or may not contain some sort of Satan figure. Uh, and so challenging text, and I wrestled mightily with it just to be quite honest in my preparation for the sermon um, fun bonus trivia. I didn't cl- include this in the sermon, but it'll just be for you you guys um, so that y'all will be in the know. That interesting passage when um, Jesus reprimands Peter, get behind me, Satan. Um, he has a mission, uh, and he's going to the cross, and Peter doesn't like it and can't imagine that Jesus will be a Messiah who suffers uh, and even dies. And The the temptation is to interpret that as Jesus telling Peter, "Get behind me, Prince of Darkness, or Lord of Hell, or whatever." But the word Satan, at its most basic, um, in um, the Hebrew scriptures, simply means obstacle or adversary. I don't think that Jesus is, for a second, calling Peter, you know, the um, evil personified in the world. I think he's saying, "Don't be a barrier." don't be an obstacle to my mission and ministry and this thing that G- that God is calling me to do so fun little um, bonus <laughs> trivia uh, for you podcast listeners hope this sermon is helpful and meaningful in some way to you as we all navigate what it means to be human and follow a um, savior and a Messiah who is, who will not be like the kings and rulers of the world, and who will not fall prey to the temptations that people in power most often face. Uh, If you want to find out more about us, feel free to head over to WilliamsburgBaptist.com. You can, of course, always reach out to me at Pastor at WilliamsburgBaptist.com with prayer concerns, or um, if you just want to get in touch. Anyway, enjoy the sermon. Thanks so much for listening. God bless. God bless. Thanks, Fran and Janet. Job well done. We agreed to read the scripture together, only if you all didn't read too much into the fact that Fran was Satan and I was Jesus. (laughs) (laughs) Fran seemed to enjoy it, though. (laughs) Will you pray with me? God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord our strength and redeemer. Amen. I saw a t-shirt this past week on the internet. It said, I have an angel on one shoulder and a devil on the other. Oh, by the way, I'm deaf in one ear. (laughs) I think it's up to you to decide which ear they're deaf in. Most of you know we've been following the Narrative Lectionary since last December. If you don't know, the Lectionary is simply a list of scripture passages weekly or daily for reading or preaching. The Narrative Lectionary starts in Genesis in September and traces its way through the biblical narratives so that once we hit Christmas, we flip over to the Gospel of Matthew, where we'll be for months now, really till the week after Easter, so for about three months, one of the blessings and curses of the narrative lectionary is that it gives us texts to preach on. I don't sit in my office wondering each week, hmm, I wonder what I should preach on this week. Rather, it gives us a map to follow. And there are a lot of other churches on the same map, and I'm in groups online that I participate in and that follow these same texts. And part of the beauty of the narrative lectionary and other lectionaries is that it forces us to wrestle with texts that we would otherwise just choose to avoid altogether. And to be quite honest, today is one of those texts for me. I'd honestly like to ignore any text dealing with the devil or Satan altogether. This is a tough text for me. My hunch looking around this room is that probably half of us in here don't think that there is some sort of actual personified force of evil in the world that we call Satan or the devil or Lucifer or otherwise. And my hunch is that the other half of us do. Or maybe we have some sort of symbolic understanding of what it means for there to be a tempter in the world, and wherever you fall in the spectrum, it's OK. But my hunch is that all of us can relate to the fact that temptation is very much a part of what it means to be human, and thus it makes for a meaningful text today. I'll admit that most of my early education about some sort of Satan figure comes from that great classical repository of childhood knowledge and wisdom, Looney Tunes cartoons. (laughs) Do you remember those episodes by any chance? Bugs Bunny? Yosemite Sam, and this devilish-looking figure, entirely red, two horns on his head, yellow eyes, pointy long beard, and pointy tail, holding a pitchfork, of course. He's sitting there, or standing at a desk, in what is very clearly hell, a big book open on the desk in front of him, something like uh, Mussorgsky's classical piece, Night on Bald Mountain, playing frantically in the background. And throughout the episode, he's trying desperately to get or capture Bugs Bunny's soul for all of eternity. For the life of me, I can't imagine who thought that that was an appropriate theme for a children's cartoon. My children would have a thousand questions if they watched one of those episodes today. Looney Tunes aside, though, there is something of a common narrative or a common biography of this Satan figure in our modern culture. My hunch is that you probably heard some variation of this story. Satan was one of God's angels who rebelled because of of pride, and that Satan tempted Adam and Eve, thus causing the fall of humanity. And now he is the ruler of hell and attempts to lead humanity astray so that they too might be damned for all eternity. The honest truth, however, is that when you root around in the historical record, so much of our modern impressions of this figure have been shaped more by John Milton's Paradise Lost, Dante's Inferno, and Looney Tunes than Sacred Scripture. The Bible just doesn't offer a lot of these details, and it certainly warrants further conversation. I have book suggestions in my office. You might, you know, I I might suggest a dust jacket on a book if you're walking around with Satan, a biography, though, at the coffee shop. I taught a course on different understandings of heaven and hell several years ago at the seminary in Richmond. In my own preparation for the class, I was struck by how elusive and enigmatic this devil figure is in Scripture. It's really no wonder that people throughout the ages have let their imaginations run wild in order to fill in the gaps for who this figure is. There really are only a handful of mentions of him in the Hebrew scriptures, what we commonly call the Old Testament. A wily snake tricks Eve into eating a piece of fruit from a forbidden tree in the Garden of Eden. But Genesis will never connect this figure to a malevolent devil. That's a later interpretation. An angelic figure stands in the road to block Balaam and his donkey from where they're going in Numbers chapter 22, and the Hebrew term used to describe the angel is hasatan, a Satan. The word very literally means an obstacle or an adversary, not a malevolent being, but one that's trying to prevent Balaam from going somewhere he's not supposed to go. The Satan figure there is actually trying to keep Balaam on God's trajectory, on God's course. And in the book of Job, there's a figure called Satan who roams the earth, observing human behavior and testing their virtues. He makes accusations to God about humanity, but he's actually a member of God's heavenly court, curiously enough. This is the role that God has assigned to him. And that's about it as far as the Hebrew scriptures are concerned. It's almost nothing like we would expect to find. In the hundreds of years that would pass before the New Testament was written, there was development of thought surrounding the Satan figure so that what we see in the New Testament is certainly more fleshed out. There's good and evil in the world that are in conflict with one another, and Satan or the devil is the enemy of God and all of humanity. But once again, there still isn't just a whole lot in the New Testament about him. Even when he shows up in today's scripture reading to tempt Jesus, there's no explanation of who he is. He just shows up out of nowhere and then disappears just as quickly. And that, to me, suggests that this text is much more concerned to say something positive about Jesus rather than trying to make significant or substantial claims about who this devilish figure is. The spotlight is on Jesus, and the devil is just in the details, you might say. Last week we read about Jesus' baptism, and today's text follows directly on the heels of last week's reading. As best as I can tell, Jesus hasn't even taken time to towel off since last week. He's still dripping wet as he heads into the wilderness to fast. His ministry is just about to start, But first there is a pause, and the text asks us to consider in this pause, in this moment in the wilderness, what type of savior is this guy going to be? What type of Messiah? What type of king? As we move into today's reading, Jesus has been fasting in the wilderness for 40 days, Fasting is one of those ways that folks prepare spiritually for special tasks in scripture. By not eating for 40 days, Jesus is depleted. He's in a weak, weakened state. And the honest truth is that we all do dumb things sometimes when we're hungry. How will Jesus respond to this challenge? The text says he's literally starving. And Matthew says, the tempter comes to him and says, since you are God's son, command these stones to become bread. It seems innocent enough, doesn't it? He's hungry. What's the big deal? It wouldn't hurt anyone, and food is necessary for life. As best as I can gather, here's the challenge. God's spirit led Jesus to this wilderness And this period of fasting is preparation for the mission and ministry that lies ahead for Jesus. And so the question becomes in this moment, where does Jesus' allegiance lie? Will he trust God? Will he trust that God led him here for a reason and that God will provide what he needs at the appropriate times throughout his ministry? Or will he give into the temptation to use his God-given power to satisfy his own appetite? That's what plenty of rulers did in Jesus' own time, and as best as I can tell, what plenty of politicians have done throughout history, using their power for their own self-interested purposes rather than for the benefit of others. But Jesus will not be that kind of king. Second temptation, the devil brings Jesus to the pinnacle of the temple in Jerusalem, a highly visible public space, maybe the most public space in ancient Judea. The devil says, in effect, look, you can prove who you, you can prove that you are who you say you are with one dramatic act. Throw yourself down and let these people watch God save you. If you want to demonstrate your power, there's no better place to do so than right here. I'll even quote scripture to you to prove that God will protect you. It's tempting, isn't it? But the psalm that the devil quotes doesn't promise divine protection in all circumstances regardless of human faithfulness or in spite of human stupidity and God is calling Jesus to demonstrate his identity through alternative means that will unfold as we move through the gospel of Matthew third temptation satan takes him to the very top of a mountain from which they can see every kingdom of the world the ultimate dream of so many would-be kings and rulers, political power over the entirety of the world. We see it still today. Just one catch. Deny your allegiance to God. This is what you have come for, to be king of the entire world. You want your vision of love and peace to spread across the globe? Here's a shortcut to everything you've ever wanted. Christianity throughout its history has been tempted to exercise its political muscle and use violent force to spread its faith and values. But that's not God's way. Instead, the good news of Christ will spread through self-giving, self-sacrificial love, not through might or violence. The gospel is not top-down power. It's a grassroots movement at its best. And with that, the devil departs, and Jesus can begin his ministry in Galilee. I kept thinking this past week as I wrestled with this text. This is the first thing that happens after Jesus has been baptized. And Megan did a wonderful job in her sermon last week to help shape our understanding of what baptism meant then and means today. When you pass through the waters of baptism, there's a very profound sense that it's a public way of saying, I am going to commit to this alternative way of living and being in the world, a way of life shaped by God's love and divine purposes. And inevitably, there will be temptations along the way to try Rome's way or the American way or to go back to whatever is much simpler and accepted in the world today. The temptations offer a shortcut to what we want to be and do and achieve. To be tempted is such a human thing, a vulnerable thing. And yet, I don't think that we could substitute just any old temptation to this story and still make it make sense. For example, if the devil showed up with a pack of playing cards and a pack of cigarettes... I don't think that's the type of temptation that's in view in the scriptures today. I think the temptation here is much more profound. What kind of Messiah will you be? How will you exercise power in this world? How will you go about transforming the entire world and along with it the hearts of humanity? What example will you set for your followers? Next week, we'll find ourselves at the very beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, the very next chapter in the Gospel of Matthew. And I can't help but wonder, could Jesus say the words of the Beatitudes with any integrity if he had given in to these temptations today? Blessed are the hungry. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek. Make these stones into bread. You'll never have to know hunger. You're God's son. You're better than that. Jump from this temple and prove your power and identity once and for all. It'll be so simple. It'll save you an awful lot of trouble later on. Bow down and worship to me, and you can go ahead and claim dominion over the entire earth. You won't even have to recruit a whole bunch of flawed followers to spread your message. It will be so much easier. Jesus chooses to walk the harder path, and in doing so invites us too, to lean into this divine way of living and being in the world. How will we move forward from here? How will we confront our own faults and temptations and failures? And will we recognize the agency we have in our own lives to choose God's path? And how will we as a community of faith show up, show up in a world that is still buckling under the weight of sin and oppression? I hate to do this to you, but you'll have to come back next week because we're just getting started, folks. To be continued.